0: Hello and welcome to Kane and Rint Sound of Play 64. Sound of Play, we bring you some of our and your favorite pieces from the many video game soundtracks we've enjoyed over the decades. I am Ryan Heyman, and those of you who know me know that I enjoy myself a uh, touch of jazz every once in a while. And that was a uh, really lovely and uh, really big kind of bombastic jazz piece coming into this, which I think is a really great way to set the energy for the evening. And I am lucky enough to be joined by the performers of, uh, of that opening piece that you heard coming into the show. Uh, Today we have not one, but six guests in our virtual studio. Our uh, (laughs) virtual studio is full to bursting. Don't tell the virtual fire marshals because they would not be happy about this, but we do have... Six other bodies along with me here today. So uh, joining me is the Super Soul Bros. That's right. Thanks for s- saying Bros.
1: Sometimes we'll get brothers.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so let me uh, let me run through the members individually. I have the uh, list up here on the website, and I'll just be going off of uh, that order. And please correct me on any name pronunciation things. I want to make sure that everybody is billed correctly. Uh, we have the band leader and keyboardist Robbie Benson. Yes, that's me, Robbie Benson. We have the co-leader and guitar player, Ryan Shue. That's me. We have the saxophonist, Alex Popoff. Hello. Hello. Uh, We have the drummer. And is your name pronounced the same way that mine is? Chris Heyman, would it be? Or are you a Hammond type?
2: No, I'm Heyman, Dad. Thank you. Heyman, all right.
3: <laughs> <laughs> you,
0: you might just be the only person that I've ever met that pronounces that name in the same way that uh, my family does. I feel it's honored. It's differently, but it's uh, close enough, you know, some aural uh, some kinship there. And we have the uh, trombonist Christian Manzana right here. And the, ooh, trumpetist. Is that the way you say this?
4: Yeah, or trumpeteer.
3: Trumpeteer. Uh, trumpeteer I like that The trumpeteer <laughs> Fancy It's
0: like a musketeer But with a trumpet Bill Smolick <laughs> Howdy 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 indeed So that is uh, That is everybody We heard the Meta night's nice Revenge Coming into this Give me some uh, Some background On that particular piece Then we'll get into The band as a whole What to expect from uh, From the rest of the show With you guys All here in the studio
1: Well I think Alex was the one That introduced that To the band Yeah
5: I did the mm-hmm. uh, Arrangement for the band I actually did it uh one in one night just because I was listening to it usually it's late at night that I get really inspired to actually do work and mm. I was just like yeah I'm just going to knock this out right now so there's actually we discovered later on there's a pretty easy way to convert midi tracks into notation software to like make your job mm for transcribing the tunes a lot easier i didn't actually know about that yeah, so yeah. i did this one by ear and um the hard part was just trying to figure out how to arrange the horns mostly because there's a lot of crazy lines and stuff so i actually based it off the super hmm. smash brothers brawl arrangement okay yeah it was a really fun tune to work on and getting it rehearsed too was probably it's probably one of the harder ones we've had to try to get down yeah i think uh me and Popoff. Uh, we were we were still going to school at
4: San Jose State at the time together and we mm-hmm. probably spent three or four days just rehearsing the song just me and him like for an hour like each day trying to nail that that mm. melody line but now I'll never forget it because we played it so much <laughs> sure it's 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 uh scar tissue now <laughs> that's
0: right that rote memory there The Kirby music is always very very lively, very bouncy, just like the character himself, really. But yeah, that's another very famous Nintendo piece. We're going to run across a few of those in today's show anyways. But I wanted to give a little bit of of background on the band as well. My introduction to the Super Soul Bros was at PAX of uh, 2015. It's not the one that just happened, but Mm -hmm. the one that was uh, last year. I ran across you guys, and you were uh, kind of positioned... In this very like hidden away corner Mm -hmm. in the very back of one of the conference halls and I would think like most people probably wouldn't even run across you unless um, unless they were taking a bathroom break or something like it right. was very much out of the way, which I would imagine would be kind of frustrating for you guys since it really wasn't ideal placement. But I found you guys, I just kind of happened upon you and uh, it, it felt kind of exclusive in that way, mm-hmm. like stumbling upon one of those like backdoor jazz bar type places. Right. <laughs> but you guys had a much more prominent placement at this last uh, PAX Prime or PAX West, I suppose PAX they're calling West. it now. Yeah. Um, as you were kind of right in the middle of uh, one of the most populated areas of the show floor, right across the, the uh, way from the Destiny booth and the uh, Indie mega booth, actually. So lots of foot traffic. Uh, lots of people standing around and watching you at uh, at all times that I um, came through there, and it's always been a real like highlight of the show to uh, to drop by and and hear you guys playing. And so I'm really happy to be able to talk to all of you on the show today and uh, introduce our crowds to uh, to some of your music, because most of our listenership is uh, in Europe, which is probably uh, out of your touring range, wow. I would imagine.
1: Uh, well, not yet, or we, we've yet to play there, but Mm -hmm. it's, it's certainly not out of the question. We'd love to, to get over this. Oh yeah. Overseas. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Is it just those last two packs that you've played or have you played other conventions and stuff
1: in the past? Yeah. So we've played at a, a lot of different conventions, um, but packs specifically, uh, the first time I played on the show floor was mm-hmm. I think 2012, I want to say, which was oh, like wow. technically okay. the first year that the band's name was actually coined and we had mm-hmm. actually kind of been been a thing known as Super Soul Bros. Mm-hmm. Back then it was just me. I was just uh, just playing piano solo at the Fangamer booth. That's specifically where we've been playing is mm-hmm. at uh, mm-hmm. Fangamer's merch booth. are they're basically family friends of ours, and so they give us a lot of opportunities to play at various events that they're part of, or if they're selling their their shirts and all of their different designs and things at PAX, they'll try to apportion some space for us to to do our music and and sell some of our merchandise as well. Mm -hmm. But back then, we didn't have any merchandise whatsoever. We didn't even have a CD recorded, (laughs) so I was just there kind of playing for fun, and then in uh, the the preceding years, we built up our library and we had some CDs and and different things to actually put in people's hands. And then the band that would travel up to Seattle uh, kind of got bigger. Like we started to have two people or three people playing. Mm -hmm. And so that was when you saw us, I think that was the first time we had three of us actually playing on the show floor at PAX. And that was cool. Um, A lot of people see us at PAX, but they don't really get the full effect of what the band is. They just come to know Super Soul Bros as that cute... You know, a couple, couple of guys playing video <laughs> game songs in the corner, but they, they, they don't get the full experience of us playing in the, in the entire ensemble, like a six-piece band mm. playing on, on right. stage. So to answer your other question, do we play at other festivals? Absolutely. We, um, we've played a lot of different gaming conventions. We just got back from uh, a couple months ago, we played at Super Smash Con in Virginia, and we've done MAGFest a couple of years. E3 Mm -hmm. and E3. Yeah, we actually we were down at E3 in June here. They gave us kind of similar to PAX. They gave us a space on the show floor, but they gave us a stage and we actually Mm. were able to set up as a a real band and uh, and played there all three days of E3 which was a really cool experience. Yeah. That's uh. and how long are you playing on each of these days? (laughs) It's, it's, it's really a, an endurance thing. I mean, (laughs) we try to max the hours of exposure that we can get out of it Mm because it only happens once a year. So pretty much if the show floor is open, you can find us. Very cool. (laughs) Again, I
0: say like, it's a, it's always a highlight of the show. It's definitely worth checking out if people find themselves at any of these events um, definitely make your way over and hear some of that uh, very lively jazz music. Actually, my first introduction to you uh, was uh, you were playing with uh, Insane in the Rain music we've had on the show previously about a year
1: or two ago. Yeah. Um, and another talented performer. Absolutely. That was really cool that he, he, we got to, to meet up with Carlos and he sat mm-hmm. in with us a couple times there. It was great. We, yeah. <laughs> we had not one but two sax players. Boost that uh, <laughs> brass section
0: we will get into more of the history of the band the formation of the band uh, in a little bit but uh, i i feel like i want to hear some more music and so we are doing a uh, something that we like to do when we have musicians or composers on the shows who like to alternate between their own work and the work that inspired them and so uh, we're going to march back into an actual piece of video game music from a video game And uh, you are bringing us a piece
1: from Earthbound. Do you want to introduce this particular track? Sure. I think um, Alex had suggested this one since he spent a lot of time with uh, learning it.
5: Yeah, this tune, uh, it's one of the final tunes you hear in Earthbound. And it's probably the most arranged tune I've uh, produced for the band Mm. that I spent the most time on trying to make it as intricate an arrangement as I could. We could talk more about it after we hear it, but uh, the song Smiles and Tears and is probably one of the mm-hmm. more impactful uh, and inspirational video game music tunes I've heard. Yes, this is Smiles and Tears,
0: originally composed by Keiichi Suzuki and Hirokazu Tanaka for uh, Earthbound, back on the Super Nintendo, that uh, very quirky JRPG um, known as Mother 2, we should mention, in its original release um, back in Japan. Uh, but what what is it about this track in particular that really stands out for
5: you guys? Uh, what I found pretty cool about it is in Earthbound, throughout the game, as you beat the bosses of the game, what you collect after each boss encounter is a piece of this melody that you ultimately hear at the end of the game. And the full Mm. arrangement is smiles and tears. Whereas in like other games, like, you know, Zelda, you're collecting these medallions in Ocarina of Mm -hmm. Time after each Mm -hmm. boss. And that was kind of the the formula back then. But in this game, you're collecting uh, bits of music. And over the game, kind of hear the track come together and it's also but it's also really distorted too and you don't hear the actual Mm. song until in its entirety that you've been uh, working up this entire game till near the end and then after you beat the game i believe you hear an extended arrangement of it you know with an intro outro this stuff and it it just made it all that much more powerful oh wow yeah you've got the eight pieces of the melody and then then you get the extended arrangement at the end of the game and it's just a really fitting tone
0: And that's interesting because that's the way that uh, music is composed and arranged in the first place is, you know, oftentimes the individual parts won't sound like anything spectacular by themselves, but they all kind of build towards something. Uh, So it's it's neat to introduce the younger players who might have come to this game when they were but children uh, to that idea. Um, And now you mentioned the Zelda series and it's played with those kinds of ideas before in uh, Link's Awakening and uh, maybe even... um, I think Skyward Sword had a little bit of melody building throughout the game as well but yeah it's a it's an interesting idea and uh, something I definitely like to hear more to have these motifs that uh, that lead to something greater right at the end. Absolutely. yeah. so let's go ahead and listen to some earthbound music. This is Smiles and Tears. So that was Smiles and Tears from Earthbound. Ah, that is a that is an impactful track. And the melody is is that a re, a reprise of the uh the main melody from Earthbound? It's been a long time since I played the game, but the, the tune definitely sounds familiar to me.
5: Um no, it's not a reprise. I don't know if Earthbound really has a theme, so to speak. Mm. I can't think of a, mm. a theme to Earthbound. There's like the title screen music but um, I think that's the special thing about Earthbound is that every track is just like equally memorable <laughs> to me um, but I don't mm-hmm. think yeah there, or there's like an it's overall true. mother series theme mm-hmm. except maybe a debatably mm-hmm. uh, the Pollyanna it's been in all three games as mm-hmm. far as I remember
3: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
5: kind of the interesting thing about
4: uh, Earthbound tunes as well is that there's actually I think this one's through Compose right which means that okay. all the way through It's like different sections all the way to the end. And it's like, it's a pretty lengthy tune. It's like about three to four minutes long. And then, uh, you know, there's also uh, Good Friends, Bad Friends, which is like that. And um, I think, I think Being Friends is kind of, or does that, well, anyways, yeah, yeah, it's pretty close. Um, But it's kind of interesting in the way that a lot of video game tunes, are just looping melodies over and over again. But earthbound has a lot of tunes that are just like these really long hmm. and, and really there's a lot of peaks and valleys to every tune and they're hmm. really cool to listen to because it's not the same all the way through. It's interesting.
0: You get the sense of uh, video game music is kind of built to loop and built to play heavily into uh, kind of simpler motifs. And, uh, these these very catchy tunes that repeat over and over again. And uh, you can tell very quickly when something was written in a more traditional way. Uh, we've had this conversation in, in past episodes when we were talking about the uh, Yoshi's Woolly World soundtrack, which to me always sounded like something that was written like a pop song first and then adapted into looping video game music. But uh, um, it, it's interesting, maybe EarthBound uh, shared that aspect of it, because um, it is a musical game to an extent, like you're you're following a, or I guess they aren't the main characters, but you run across many times throughout your adventure, a a traveling band, and there are, are references to To songs, at least in the localized version, there are, uh, it it seems
1: very culturally aware of itself as well. Absolutely. I think Earthbound has a lot of references and samples of various songs, uh, some that are more contemporary than others. I think they even Mm -hmm. had like a a reference of like the Little Rascals theme, like it was like distorted Mm -hmm. and reversed in uh, Jackie's Cafe. But, um, and that's going way back to like the 20s and the 30s. I think that's partly what kept that game from getting its re-release. Um, I know how just up until recently, a lot of the community was pushing for it to get a release on the virtual console on the Wii um, or to get a, a re-release on a Game Boy Advance or something. Yeah, because it's such a culturally aware and, and really just a self-aware game, it references a lot of soundtracks, and that kind of worked against it with with. Getting
4: uh, re released and and getting more appeal. One in particular, I think, that we all are really fond of is Foreside. And Mm. that just has like, Mm. yes, it's, it's, yeah, it's like a cool Latin feel. Uh, We've been trying to like um, get more Latin within our funk, (laughs) funk and jazz. Like a lot of the thing with the Earthbound soundtracks, too, is that they're at least three or four part horn melodies so and there there's a ton of really cool counterpoint where like maybe the horns will reference a melody from another tune but mm. then there are, th- there will also be kind of a new melody going between all of that and it's like really interesting to listen to yeah, i like
0: those uh, those soundtracks that you can really kind of study and pick up on the themes um just like the way that old
4: like operas were composed in that way Right. Um, One thing also about the Earthbound tunes is that um, it's very kind of trombone heavy on the melodies. Like a lot of trombone, (laughs) like kind of little funny trombone isms.
6: Mm -hmm. It's cool because from uh, all our rep, uh, I say Earthbound, I, I get to play a lot more of the melody part. Uh Foresight definitely is one of my favorite um uh, mm-hmm. pieces that we do. And kinda going back to that whole um older opera, that whole style of different motifs. Uh it's something that you really hear in earthbound music. Um uh, I know like the end of Good Friend Good Friends, Bad Friends has some mm-hmm. of the um the four side melody. And you just have, like, all these different um, melodic things sprinkled throughout all the music. Uh, just going into that Latin flavor, like, four-side. Uh, what's, the, what's the other newer one that we do? Uh, Samba de Combo. Yeah, that one's Mother, Mother 3. Three. Yeah. yeah, that's a so, good one. Yeah, we're just trying to mix it up <laughs> now.
0: Very cool, very cool. So as we kind of transition into this next track, it, it brings up... Um, this next track is... Not by the band as a whole, if I'm reading that correctly, but by one of the uh, individual members, and that makes me want to ask, uh, what are your, I guess, individual musical outlets
4: outside of this particular group? This is "Fight On" from Final Fantasy VII, and this is actually kind of a recording I made as a precursor to Super Soul, like by a couple of years, maybe four or five years mm. before I actually joined the band at the time I was playing, I was really into kind of self-producing rock and metal music and just like mm-hmm. I always really loved the soundtrack to Final Fantasy 7 that's probably one of the first JRPGs that I played all the way through besides like yeah. Pokemon or something Nobuo was just so revered as a composer for that series like, uh, you know, you talk to talk to anybody that that just loves video game music and they'll they'll say that Nobuo's the man. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so this was kind of like a track that I recorded, I think at the end of high school, um, and I, I would just self-produce the whole thing. It doesn't sound very good because I'm, <laughs> I'm completely self-taught when it comes to like mixing and producing mm-hmm. my own stuff, and this is like one of the very first things I've ever done on my mm-hmm. own. But yeah, it kind of shows that from a younger age in high school, I was already into maybe performing one day with a band that did video game music. And um, I put this on YouTube kind of around the time that Power Glove were becoming a thing. Mm, Um, You know, that that other metal band that that does video game cover Mm -hmm. bands. So I got a lot of people saying that I just ripped them off and I, (laughs) it's kind of funny. I, I had not heard of them at that time, and that was around the time when video game cover bands, actually, at least from my estimation, started mm-hmm. becoming a more more and more popular thing. Yeah, the market's definitely opened
0: up a lot since uh, YouTube has has risen in popularity, and you have, uh, you know, folks like Family Jewels now doing uh, lots of metal covers of games and stuff, and so it's become a, a more popular outlet. For people, so it's not necessarily just kind of one band's
4: gig any longer. Yeah, definitely. Like, there's a lot of really talented people just putting their own interpretations of yeah, of all yeah. these tunes out there. It's still like pretty low quality for today's standards, but I'm pretty proud that I did that myself. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh, so this definitely leans towards a more kind of metal sound. Um, what other genres, um, and this goes to anybody in the band here, have you worked in that is not, uh, is not jazz that might surprise listeners of the, uh, the opening piece?
6: Uh well for me, uh, besides playing trombone, uh, I do some occasional uh vocals, uh mostly rap mm. vocals. Oh cool. Yeah. Cool. So I did I did a lot of hip hop uh before doing super soul bros. And while doing hip hop I would also play uh jazz. But mainly my biggest influence is probably hip hop, like Tribe Called Quest, uh the Roots, mm. hieroglyphics, a uh, local group from the Bay Area. And I'll rap cool. over sonic tunes uh i've done some <laughs> uh toe jam and earl
4: well we don't know what to do with a tune we just go here christian just to say something <laughs> <Yeah>. funny
3: <laughs>
4: <laughs> christian can be heard rapping on uh a track off of our album fireball on hydrosity zone
3: yeah mm-hmm.
2: yeah so
1: i know chris cool. uh comes from also sort of a metal background isn't that yeah, right for hmm.
2: me i grew up um Probably when I got into middle school, I started forming bands with friends and stuff, mainly hard rock, metal stuff. Um, And then I kind of actually only got into jazz because you're a percussionist or a drummer in uh, elementary or middle school. The only drum set Mm, role you can have is in in a jazz band, basically. (laughs) Um, I didn't grow up ever having the opportunity to be in a marching band. So Mm -hmm. basically, I wanted to be on the drum set Um, And that's what kind of just threw me into the jazz world And it just kind of combined the two of those
0: right, well let's uh, let's go ahead and listen to this next track This is Fight On by Brian Chu here Originally composed by Nobuo Uematsu from Final Fantasy VII That was, uh, that was an individual track from one of the soul rows here. And uh, I'm, I'm interested to learn more about how the group came together. I'm sure you guys must answer this question every single time you uh, perform anywhere. But how did you know each other beforehand? Uh, how did you find each other? Uh, were you friends or were you just people who were uh you know doing session
1: music in the area and you happened upon each other's uh work i started the group four or five years ago i i'm losing track now but mm-hmm. it initially was just a project where i wanted to put together a group of musicians and and basically jam out at a venue that was nearby to uh the San Jose convention center because Mm -hmm. on this particular weekend, every Memorial day weekend, they have what's called fanime con and that's, I guess the second largest anime convention in the United States. Um, Mm -hmm. so a lot of people come from out of town and everyone's cosplaying, and there's a lot of video game like crossover and I just grew up playing video games and playing music. And so I thought it would be cool to play some live video game music. Um, on that weekend and the only place i had an option to do that was at this burrito place uh just walking distance <laughs> from the convention center so we played at iguanas yes which is where you uh recorded your first live album absolutely so i originally uh started there five years ago i i just threw together a little group and played and pretty much anyone that showed up was able to to play along and then mm-hmm. The next year, I met Brian Shue and chatted with him about this idea of, of actually making a band to do this sort of thing, and he he was definitely interested, and so that's when we coined the name Super Soul Bros. Again, did the Phantom Con weekend um, playing at the Burrito Place, and that was when we recorded Live at Iggy's, and that was when the band was a four-piece, basically a rhythm section band. There weren't any horns mm. whatsoever, other than a couple friends who just sat in with us on a couple tracks. In the ensuing years, the project became bigger and bigger. More people got to know us, and a lot of musicians would approach us, and they were interested in being part of it. At the same time, Brian Hsu was going to San Jose State University, and he
4: was meeting a lot of other jazz musicians in the area that were Mm -hmm. interested. To start almost at the beginning, I had been going to school in L.A., before this band mm-hmm. started, and then when I came back to San Jose, I didn't really know anybody, and I had, um, we had this mutual friend uh, who played bass in the band for a little bit, and um, he introduced me to Robbie, and we we immediately hit it off, because we both loved bands like the Yellow Jackets, uh, we loved Herbie Hancock, kind of that 70s funk mm-hmm. fusion kind of stuff. Um, before the band officially got started for Fanime, we had just been, you know, jamming in in a small bedroom mm. <laughs> with a with a couple <laughs> other guys and it, you know just playing jazz standards and stuff and then Robbie just asked me hey I'm doing this video game thing uh, are you interested we have a show in like a month <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like heck yeah so we went I our first rehearsal was just me going to his place and it was just me and him running over heads I just pl- plugged my guitar into his little keyboard amp and mm-hmm. we just rehearsed a little bit um as for everyone else in the band I think I had a hand in getting yeah. the rest of the band yeah. In, yeah. in the band so um I guess to start from I guess the first person w- that got in the band officially was Christian actually mm-hmm. so our trombonist cuz uh we we had been playing with two other horn players, actually, uh, this guy named Bernard, which who was our trumpet player before, and Lionel, who was an alto sax player. And we kind of wanted to fill out the sound with kind of more low end. So, And I knew Christian and thought he was a cool guy and would, would mesh with the rest of the band. So I got him in.
6: Before Brian got me uh, into the band, I remember uh, seeing some videos on YouTube, uh, mostly from the Iggy sessions. Uh, I think I saw Chemical Plant, and yeah, those really, uh, really impressed me. And then I was like super thrilled uh, when Brian asked me to come sit in. The, the first gig I did with Super Soul Bros was, I think it was Fanime, uh twenty. Fanime marks a lot of milestones for this
1: band. It's like every year something that the band
4: evolves
6: it was in like some Stritch, way. Stretch uh, Cafe, mm-hmm.
4: Stretch, uh, and yeah, I just stayed with the band. Yeah, and then after after Christian, I think uh, it was chris Heyman, our drummer he at the time sitting in order of recency we're we're, we're sitting we're sitting in the order from
5: like oldest to newest players i just noticed while they were talking it's pretty interesting (laughs) we know our place it's 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 a hierarchy but yeah actually at the
4: time um so i think in 2013 we played um in this downtown area called san pedro market and they had like a really cool outside stage and you know they put on a lot of music there during the summer and um at the time we had a different drummer his name was Alfredo Mm -hmm. a really Mm -hmm. great guy and great drummer and but then we also wanted to try something new and we got Chris Heyman to play percussion and so he's he's actually playing some parts on uh our live at San Pedro CD um but not as a
2: As a set drummer, very overbearing. (laughs) A very
1: very hyperactive percussionist. Well,
2: actually, the first time I met uh, Robbie, and the first time, like the first time I ever went out in San Jose, once I moved there, uh, I grew up in Walnut Creek, which is about fifty minutes or so north of Mm -hmm. San Jose. The first time I went out to actually go sit in with a group was uh, when Brian invited me to go to Iguanas. That was probably the second time, that wasn't the live Iggy's album, but I think it was Mm -hmm. the second time you guys were playing there. Alfredo was on drums. Mm -hmm. I sat in for one tune and jammed with the guys. And that's how I met Robbie. Um, And then kind of, I think we just took it from there, and then I came into the mix in San Pedro after that. Wow.
1: You're reminding me of so much. I I forgot a lot of this.
2: Yeah. We like played like sissy strut or something. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah,
4: exactly. Some members had some problems kind of keeping up with what the amount of stuff we were doing and couldn't, you know, make it to everything. So, yeah. And most of these guys that got invited into the band were just super hungry to play and Mm, they just made themselves super available. So uh, eventually Chris, uh, we had a session at my house um, with with Chris, and we actually arranged a tune or two, which we'll probably talk about later. Um, but yeah, Chris eventually became part of part of that that this rhythm section. Yeah, mm-hmm. for the next couple of years.
1: And then we got a couple extra horns. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. God, and then the next members. guy, <laughs> the next
4: guy that we got in was Alex Popoff, our sax player, which mm-hmm. uh, which is. Yeah, he's, he's been one of the biggest driving forces in the band to to constantly improve and update our material. Hmm. So when he got into the band, it kind of kicked the band into super overdrive because before that, we were dealing with a lot of people that um, just didn't have time. Right. We
1: didn't have a consistent lineup of horns. Right. And so by the time Alex came along, we had a, a more consistent um, lineup of horns. And so now we could really put some time and TLC into, uh, arranging those horns.
5: I was living on campus at the time. It was my, I was 18. It was my first year at San Jose State. And, um, I had, Brian had got invited me to sit in on a show cause they didn't have any horn players. This was for the Blackbird residency. Uh, yeah. It's now closed, but it was called Blackbird Tavern. And I, uh, so I learned all <laughs> the melodies cause I was super excited to play. And I, made sure to commit everything to memory before the first show. And I think it went all right. And then I got a call from Robbie, like maybe a week or two later. It was like 1130 in the morning. And uh, he's mm-hmm. like, hey, he's like, hey, <laughs> oh, this is Robbie Benson <laughs> from Super Soul Bros. And actually, we're playing a show today at... San Jose State out on this lawn in about 30 minutes here. <laughs> and he's like, would you happen to be available for that? And I was living in the dorms, and I was like, wait, the lawn. And I look out my dorm window, and I can see him setting up on the lawn. <laughs> and I, I was like in bed when he called. I was still sleeping. And then I look out the window, and I see him setting up. And I was just like, yeah, I think I can make that <laughs> and Wait, I, wait, wait. What's the, what's the pay? Yeah, what, yeah, what's the pay? And I threw on, yeah, I just like... Put on some pants and then walked down and played right so, then and there was like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Take take the about a hundred feet from where he was playing that day <laughs> playing. and then i think <laughs> yeah. d- just after that, that uh i just started getting more and more calls and then yeah i i think it was just i like was willing to make myself available and I really, really liked. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm a little bit overcorrective. Like, I think on the very first show we I did at Blackbird Tavern, I was like talking to Bernard, and I was like, "Hey, you know, like the melody on this actually goes like this." <laughs> it's just, oh, like, it was like for Zelda. <laughs> it was like for Zelda. Like one, there was like a couple of wrong notes he was playing the poke. Like even on the Iggy's, you can hear it. The Pokemon mm-hmm. theme. Mm-hmm. It was like these wrong notes here and there, and I was like, just kind of like, oh, I c- can't let that slide, you know? I gotta, <laughs> I gotta <laughs> say something. So I like. That's kind of my MO is I like to make sure everything is as perfect as it can be for the, for the amount of mm, talent in yeah. the band. When, when things are... Because it's like mm. everyone in the band is super talented. So if things are like below that talent level, I, I usually speak up even on the tiniest things. Yeah, yeah. Right, and Alex actually
4: writes... Nowadays, he's... As I've been delving more into kind of the mixing realm for audio and kind of media production, um, Alex has been handling a ton of the charts... Um, as -hmm. of late and just like, you know, working on a ton of new tunes. And we get a lot of requests on our Mm -hmm. Twitch stream for, uh, to learn songs. And Alex Mm -hmm. is usually the guy kind of in charge of that. So Bill's kind of a funny, (laughs) The, the way, the way that he got into the band was kind of, kind of interesting. I had been playing at a bar in downtown San Jose called 55 South with a bunch of Um, hip-hop and jazz heads with our original alto player actually Mm -hmm. uh, Lionel and Bernard and um, there's this new guy that I met uh, which was Bill and he just came to every single session like even though he didn't have to he wasn't getting paid he just came for the hang and to play music (laughs) and I noticed he was just like he was just killing it he sounded like kind of like a mix of like Roy Hargrove and and something else. He just sounded really great. And at the time, I didn't really... I, I had wanted to work with him, but I didn't know in what capacity we would ever end up working together. But what happened the next summer after I met him was that our original trumpet player... Matt Michelin, rest <laughs> his soul,
3: <laughs> God,
4: rest his soul. He, he got shipped off to Canada because his visa, Canada. he got shipped back to Canada because his visa expired and he was, he was going to San Jose State at the time as well um, as a master's student. So um, that's how he got in the band. And that happened like overnight. Yeah. So, like, yeah. overnight notice,
1: we're realizing, oh, we no longer have wow. a trumpet player and we've got all these gigs lined up for next week.
4: Uh, so, <laughs> the interesting thing was that Bill actually played like one or two shows mm-hmm. with us prior to that happening. So, it was almost like. Oh, yeah. First one was actually Fanime two oh, years yeah. ago. So, oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Another Fanime right. comes, strikes again. So, <laughs> it, was, it was funny. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah.
5: On the Poor House show, we had him. He was just, we invited him to sit in and he showed up before anyone else in the band did like he, would, he was there and had all his stuff set up <laughs> like, stuff. like half an hour before the first band member arrived
4: yeah and that's that's one thing that also impressed me about bill he just has kind of that that nothing professionalism which which is pretty much yeah. he has nothing better to do than to show up to gigs
2: early Makes him perfect also he's always wearing 100% uv so i mean how how can you hate that
4: bill was just kind of an automatic shoe in for the band hmm. Ah,
0: i thought the project sounded pretty cool uh it showed up at fanime cafe stretch and the place was just packed with people you know like cosplayers um and mm-hmm. uh you know this is a jazz club <laughs> not used to you know uh clubs being super packed
4: and everyone in there was totally you know engaged with the band and loving it and it's just you know find a band that uh you know is playing awesome music for a crowd that really digs it it's a totally kind of a different experience for a jazz
1: musician yeah right. it's, <laughs> it's, it's the coolest like jazz people it, are listening yeah. to us
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what so yeah um it had a lot of a lot of wins i guess three
4: wins on in that regard
2: you can go play a jazz gig and get paid like 200 bucks but if you're playing for like five people in an empty mm-hmm. bar it's super unfulfilling, but if you're getting paid maybe like 40 bucks, but you're playing this huge, super, you know, packed room and everyone's digging it, it's so much more fulfilling as musicians. Yeah. And it's, it's really what we kind of live for. It's not really uh, gig to gig, like what you, what you get paid. It's really what you get out of it. Yeah. I think that's the kind of attitude that
3: it is. Yeah,
1: if we
4: if if we were that's doing cool. this for money, I don't think we'd be in it. Yeah, the life of a gigging
2: musician is kind of dead. So yeah, um, true. I think we're all like kind of teaching lessons and stuff, but the more gigs that we can take that are fulfilling like that is super cool.
0: Let's listen to a little bit more music here. We've got another piece coming from the Super Nintendo. Uh, does somebody want to introduce this uh, the Super Mario Kart music here?
1: Yeah, Mario Circuit uh, from Super Mario Kart, that's just been a song that always uh, stood out to me as like a, a fusion-y, funky, jazzy composition that most gamers that play the game may n- never listen to jazz or, or jazz fusion, but little do they know they're listening to it. It's it's composed and mm, it, yeah. it has a lot of the, these elements in the soundtrack. So uh, Mario Circuit just always stood out to me. And it was one of the first songs that we learned when I met Brian. Uh, that was one of the first complicated melodies I threw at Brian to learn.
4: <laughs> yeah, that that tune, the B section, or just that whole tune in general was like really a challenge to learn because it's, you know, in the main melody, it's all synth parts. Mm-hmm. So there's like a lot of un guitaristic little fingerings that I had to, had right. to figure out to play the melody, but that ended up being one of my favorite heads mm-hmm. to play, just because it's it's just so cool. And I think a lot of people just when they hear this tune, they really like it.
0: That's one of the things I really like about having musicians on the show is that uh, it, it kind of puts the audience back in the mindset of like, what would this be like to actually play? And oftentimes the music that um you know whether it fades to the background or whether it's something that we just kind of passively listen to uh it takes on a whole new life if you're thinking about being uh, tasked with actively reproducing it Mm -hmm. (laughs) so let's uh let's listen to some mario circuit by soyo oka from super mario kart My favorite things whenever i see you guys performing at pax is that uh you seem to just always be taking requests which i think is uh is very brave of uh-huh. all of you i i don't um i haven't hung around for every last minute that you guys are performing but i've never heard you turn down a request before oh, and wow. i understand you must be getting a lot of a lot of the same kind of the safe like you know you can expect to get a lot of uh, play some Zelda, play some oh, Pokemon, yeah. you know right. the the fan favorites. But no, no, we never play those ones. No. <laughs> That's kind of like but the safe get, bets. Um, like, how deep does your well go? Like, how much are you prepared to play? Like, if somebody came up to you and said, "Like, I'd love to hear some Vib Ribbon,"
1: like, what would you oh, wow. do? So that would be a, a perfect example of me saying. Ah, yeah, we're working on that one, but we haven't played that yet. Um, uh-huh. I try to let them down gently just to keep, mm-hmm. them, keep them engaged. Maybe maybe <laughs> they'll learn it at some point. I'll, I'll still follow them and see mm-hmm. what they're up to. We've been trying to actively keep a, a repertoire list. When we do our Twitch streams, we take requests all the time. So we've been trying to actually have a pretty cohesive list of what we know. And some of those tunes are also not... We, we, we know them well enough, and some of them we know very well. So I, I, off the top of my, m- my head, I don't know really what the number is. I, I want to say between 100 and maybe 200 like wow. general yeah. like melodies that we can create a, create a song out of. But yeah, when we take requests at PAX, there's certainly a lot of, a lot of requests that we, we can't play. We just
3: mm-hmm. yeah. don't know...
1: But it's also like, I mean, maybe some of us know this, the tune, but the, uh, the, uh, the rest of the band may not know it. And so mm-hmm. for it to be performable, we, we need to have at least a couple, a couple folks that can create the groove and, and play it well enough. So I think you've just been lucky. Like you,
3: you've, you've, had the,
5: <laughs> you've gotten that impression of us being able to play anything. And our repertoire, to answer your original question, as far as how deep it goes, mm-hmm. The band started on, like, mostly Nintendo music from the SNES era. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's where, like, a lot of anything around Mario, Zelda mm-hmm. is where, like, a, a lot of our stuff is Mario Kart and Zelda. And then uh, then we started moving into Sonic stuff.
1: Yeah, Brian introduced a lot of Sonic. And then, like, the we've got, card. like,
5: some tunes, like, one-off tunes from games like DuckTales, some Castlevania. And then, sort of, like, a, a couple ones that aren't as well-known, so like, some Toe Jam & Earl. Either we hear a tune we really like, and we're like, yeah, let's learn it. Or it, it's at PAX, we get 10 requests throughout the day for... Maybe it was a PAX before this one. It was like, actually, I don't know if Undertale was out then. But this this PAX, it was it was like someone walk out, hey, do you guys play Undertale? And we're like, oh, yeah, we play one song, so we play it. And then they're like, cool. And then they listen for about 10 seconds, and then they walk away. And we're like, cool, so now we've we got to finish the song. We finish the song, and then someone walks by, and they're like, hey, do you guys know I'm... Um, Undertale by any chance (laughs) and we're like okay so we play it and then yeah and uh, I think we got about we got like three in a row before this packs before I started telling people no we don't know Undertale
3: (laughs) (laughs) it's a strange
1: phenomenon there's like a subliminal communication of music like when we play in Mm -hmm. a back corner and we're playing maybe Song of Storms or Chemical Plant Zone or something Mm -hmm. people don't realize they're hearing it from a few Mm -hmm. aisles down but they kind of gravitate towards this noise and then by that point we've finished the song and then they request the exact song that they just heard (laughs) and we'll get three to five people in a row requesting the same song with no concept that,
4: <laughs> that we just played it. Psychologists, there's a study yeah. out there for that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: It's really, uh, it's good practice though. It gets us really working it into the muscle memory and then it yeah. becomes <laughs> very
0: scar tissue so now these requests that you play um are these all songs that you had practiced or if somebody comes up and requests something that has like maybe a simple enough like if somebody requested mm-hmm. like some perap of the rapper and you hadn't specifically mm-hmm. uh practice it but you said like oh I, I think i can probably hammer out the melody then everybody else can improvise like do yes. you ever do that or are they Absolutely. all Rob songs that you Absolutely Robbie's,
4: Robbie's kind of the insane like <laughs> he just he, he just like <laughs> he, he can like hear things like once or twice and mm-hmm. then somewhere in the depths of his mind, it'll just live there, and then he'll just pull it out and <laughs> just be able to play it, or at least like 80% there so that people won't care anyways. <laughs> that well, they the, don't know that. But. Yeah, they, they don't know that. But yeah, Robbie's like super, super good at that kind of stuff. He has like, I think in his brain, he has like some kind of crazy rep of like, 600 tunes or something like he just knows so many songs <laughs> Plus, you can kind of
5: get away with some stuff like someone will be like oh do you know this specific pilot wings tune and robbie maybe he doesn't know it but he knows like the general groove behind you be Like, okay and mm-hmm. he'll just like start right. playing something and be like, okay it's an f and then like, okay and it goes to g here and then it goes back to f and like, okay and then we'll just kind of jam on this groove and most people mm, yeah. uh they don't know the difference between that and the real <laughs> tune. Like if they if they request Big Blue, all they really want to hear is. Uh, to go, din, 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 yeah.
3: din, din, din.
5: that's all they want. <laughs> <laughs> the Maybe a little bit of din, din, opening din, din, like, yeah. yeah if they hear that and like the first two bars of the melody. That's probably like there's a YouTube video out there of us playing at Pax two years ago, Big Blue, before any of us knew the tune.
3: Oh yeah, just
5: <laughs> totally making up the melody. Oh wow.
6: <laughs> yeah. and, um,
5: and all the comments are like, "Wow, they know Big Blue." and, like, <laughs> and they're like, wow, that was super good. It's like better than the original, and it's just like I was playing with the drum machine, totally making up the melody. Well, <laughs> there, there have. Been times where, like, you know, uh, especially
4: on our stream, where we're, we'll actually spend the time to, to yeah, learn if it. it's
5: something worthwhile. For some reason, we do, and we get a sizable amount of requests for devil may cry tunes. Oh, interesting! It totally doesn't work for us because it it's a lot. Uh-huh. It's a lot of vocals, and um, it's mm. just not. It doesn't work for us. But we get a lot of requests for stuff like that. Where can you learn this like right now? And we're like, um, we'll we'll learn it on the. N- you know, ever uh, <laughs> there's always there's also
4: always this one guy that comes to our show and requests oh, yeah. Metal Gear. You know, oh yeah, you know, know. You know know he's
3: always shouting are. in the crowd, Gear, Gear.
5: I like Metal Gear soundtrack. Yeah. I'm just trying to find to make it mm-hmm. work mm-hmm. for this band.
0: Yeah, they got that Snake Eater theme, and you've got, uh, yeah, you've got if a yeah. If we could get a, a singer to like, play there?
5: Snake Eater theme with us, but mm-hmm. I, I always thought uh, uh, if you guys know Juanita Harris we get her to sing that, <laughs> that would be so cool. She's like a super great singer. It wouldn't work mm. without vocals, which we don't have, except mm-hmm. for Christian. But, you know, I don't want to yeah, hear him sing yeah, Snake Eater. <laughs>
0: well, a Snake Eater rap song would be pretty cool as well. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Uh Well, anyways, let's see if I can stump you on this one. Could you take a request for, I don't know, something from Pokemon Red,
1: Blue and Yellow? Oh, you, you know what? I think we could play something like that. We actually just recorded that on our most recent CD. Uh, we, we just put out a new CD a week ago, I think, or a couple of mm. weeks ago, called Stritch's Brew, which was a, rec- a live recording of us performing at Cafe Stritch uh, this most recent Fanime Weekend, um, because that's kind of become our hub, is we perform mm-hmm. on Fanime Weekend. At Cafe Stritch. Uh, it's just kind of the ideal venue. It's very close by and it's a jazz club and it's just a really cool hang for, for us to play music at. And um, that actually marked the band's, uh, I guess, technically our fifth fanime performing. So it's kind of a commemorative recording. Everyone played mm-hmm. really well and we got a nice recording of it. So we caught that lightning in a bottle and, uh, and just released that CD recently here. So this is a recording of us playing the Pokemon Red, Blue, Yellow theme song.
0: So you've uh, you've introduced a lot of kind of classic tracks that you like Mm -hmm. to play um, and a lot of the more kind of well-known video game tunes. Anyways, uh, the ones that tend to be more kind of uh, melodically earwormish do tend to be those older tunes due to the uh, limitations of the hardware mean that. To really kind of push a song forward, you have to focus on simpler compositions and um, more kind of melody-driven compositions. Mm. But uh, do you, do you guys play uh, anything from newer games, or do you typically like to stay with the more kind of old school stuff? The band's
1: original repertoire was, for the most part, dictated by me and just whatever I grew up with because mm-hmm. I um, I didn't have to learn songs that I already had had kind of played and, and, uh, or that I had grown up listening to and having played. So there was a lot of Mario Kart And as we said, just all that super Nintendo kind of N64 era. That's what I grew up with. Mm -hmm. Um, but then as we got other musicians in the band, they, they grew up with other games or they grew up in different generations. Like Alex is a younger musician in the band. He grew up with Mm -hmm. more, more contemporary games. And, um, and some of the band actually does play games, contemporary games. I'm kind of a dinosaur. I still like to play Earthbound and, <laughs> and those older ones. Uh-huh. But yeah, we have been um, gradually implementing more contemporary stuff into our repertoire.
2: I think you hit it uh, right on the nose, Ryan. What you said before is, is mm-hmm. recognizable melodies. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. For example, we, we play the theme song for Hey Arnold. Um, which is like a very popular show in the 90s, but say probably around the same time that show Cat Dog that was out, that probably would not work at all for us because there's nothing really that, I mean, our instrumentation doesn't really allow us to, to provide mm, yeah, anything. that's yeah. really recognizable, so people would just be <laughs> confused by what we're doing.
4: I think also like contemporary games um, nowadays tend to be so specific as far as like the orchestration of like what what's kind of playing what and like you know there's these massive orchestras playing soundtracks and like yeah. you know you have just all these parts. I think I think a lot of us find um, it kind of fun to actually take a simple melody and a groove um, mm-hmm. and mess with that. And that's that's a little bit easier to do. I think with um, the limitations of old games and the right. way they had to um, make those tunes. Absolutely. And um, I mean, uh, there are some tunes that are, I mean, some games out there today, like Undertale that are mm-hmm. contemporary, yep. but kind of with kind of that vintage. Yeah. It's composed in that kind of old school way. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. I think we still find
5: find that, that kind of stuff is like really fun to mess yeah. around with. There's in, a in, lot in, of yeah. stuff in, that range. I would love to do with a band and I've got like charts started on, but it's hard to convince the band as a whole to mm. play them, just because yeah. the the problem is yeah. that as much as we want to be this band to be super musically satisfying, we also have to right now to make it successful. We have to pander to certain things and what's popular, what's recognizable, mm. and how what to, in what we choose for our repertoire. Like my preferred set lists or tends to be tons of tunes that are fun to play and great melodies, but mm-hmm. the, uh, but you know for a lot of people coming to the show, we've you've got to hit like a quota of recognizable mm. material. And the uh, the thing with that is you've got to find these songs like the Zelda theme that you are going to hit the largest amount of people that you mm. can guarantee have heard that song before. There's a lot of tunes from, like, the newer Pokemon games and just, like, newer games in general that I would love mm-hmm. to incorporate in the band, but we're in this, like... Growing period where we have to be uh, careful of what we play because we really need to reel in the maximum amount of interest. Mm, I suppose if that makes sense, we aren't
0: necessarily hunting down, uh, polishing up those Splatoon or Bloodborne tracks to try to right as much as I I would totally
5: love to play stuff like that. Mm. Um, I'm hoping, like in the future, as we get like a growing uh, fan base, I suppose that Mm -hmm. we can really start experimenting with that stuff and broadening our repertoire in that way.
0: Speaking of very recognizable tracks, uh, let's listen to some more music. We've got a piece from uh, another Mario Kart game. If you want to take us into Luigi Raceway here.
1: Yeah, Luigi Raceway uh, also has been a track in uh, the repertoire of our band. We've been playing this one since pretty much the beginning of the band. And again, it's just like a natural, uh, it's just a funky groove that it's naturally funky. We didn't really have to do a whole mm-hmm. lot to it. And <laughs> and so that's kind of been the idea is to, we would pick songs that are highly recognizable, but also just kind of lend themselves to mm-hmm. what the band is, what our sound is. And it's just a fun one to play on. And it's a very easy one to uh, get people to sit in on. So this was kind of our, our go-to song that we would have if we had Christian or Bill or any new horn player or musician sitting in. Uh, give him a solo on Luigi
4: Raceway That's mm-hmm. that's usually
1: the, the go-to
4: Yeah, I think there's a video Of us playing this on YouTube At Cafe Stretch with like Something like 7 or 8 horns yeah. That just right. came like all <laughs> across the stage. Yeah, and like, you know <laughs> Yeah, and that stage is tiny I was so. like standing on a block <laughs> Yeah, so let's give it a
0: listen Here's the original uh, Luigi Raceway Yes, Luigi Raceway by Kenta Nagata From Mario Kart 64 So that is a, uh, a very jazzy track, and as you mentioned before, a lot of those kind of classic Nintendo pieces were composed in a very jazzy way. Everything from the uh, early NES pieces to, mm-hmm. uh, you know, even the Mario sixty four soundtrack is is jazzy. If you kind of uh, totally switch up the instrumentation a little bit, mm-hmm. um, but uh, do you find that it's uh, more interesting for you to jump into a song that already has a real jazzy root? You know, kind of like putting on a comfortable pair of pants that's already broken in or do you mm-hmm. find that it's more fun to kind of break a song in a way to play like a castlevania song right. that shouldn't be jazz but you are uh, going to take it there i
1: think it's fun to to do that certainly and i think that's really what gets maybe more of a reaction from people mm. um but we've just kind of had a mixture of you know Low-hanging fruit and high-hanging fruit, basically. <laughs> do you ever run into people
0: not recognizing the song if you change the genre so heavily like that? I don't know. I think we try to
1: keep try to keep the melody as consistent and recognizable as
0: we I can. I think
5: sometimes people don't immediately recognize our arrangement of Megalovania from Undertale, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is when you're saying like, do you find it more fun to find one that's a tune that's already in jazzy roots or mm-hmm. kind of break a song? I'm definitely all about changing a song to fit our band than kind of doing a one-to-one cover of it. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And Megalovania was so requested so much. We're like, okay, obviously we have to do this one. And then I just told myself, uh, whatever arrangement I come up for this, I do not want to play it as it is. Like, it's super fast and like, <laughs> I I like it. Not because I don't like it, but because um, hmm. I don't... Every single cover out there kind of plays it the same way. Hmm. The okay, original yeah. tempo, it's very fast and we slowed it down a lot and brought it down to this... Funky pocket and so doing something like that is way more satisfying to me because it it it's uh yeah it makes things more yeah. we could definitely call it our own us. as well yeah you can like, we can call it our own rather than just a cover like mm-hmm. people yeah. people will
4: listen to it be, and
5: be like that's like uniquely and that's Super something Soul like uh, that insane in the rain music does a lot too yeah. is yeah. he really he that's what I admire about his stuff is he really a lot of the times changes up the whole style of a song you know, that's why you would want to go listen to his stuff. Because if you want to listen to the original thing, you can listen to the original thing.
0: I also love how he incorporates like counter melodies from other video games yeah. into his pieces and kind of like mm-hmm. hides little musical nuggets in there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's that's what I thrive on. I can't solo. I just reference a bunch of different memes oh, yeah. and melodies. We actually,
5: I made a thing at the last PAX where I said, okay, this day, we are not going to segue into the Mario theme once, because that that was kind of like the thing. It's like when're we're, when we're like on autopilot or doing something, it's like, I like freshness. I'm like we we cannot quote this today, just like for, it just force ourselves to do something else. I like the connection that you get with the audience
1: with that because making references of melodies and things that's a tradition that happens in jazz solos already, mm-hmm. but doing that with video game melodies is uh a double whammy it's kind of fun yeah so speaking of pieces that weren't all that jazzy
0: beforehand you know mario's always had a bit of a jazzy past but uh sonic the hedgehog is uh is perhaps coming from some different musical roots and so uh would uh would any of you like to talk about your adaptation of this sonic piece I think Brian
1: should, should take this one.
4: <laughs> yeah, so I arranged this version of uh, Aquatic <laughs> Ruin Zone, and um, actually, most of the—I think the very first Sonic track we ever did was the uber popular Chemical Plant. Mm-hmm. Um, mm, yes, and a lot of a lot of uh, the son- original Sonic One and Two and Three soundtracks are perfect for what we do because. There's mm. actually some horns involved in some of the melodies, and it's very bouncy and funky um, kind of music. This one in particular was kind of interesting because this one was definitely more of a like, kind of a Latin feel. Mm. And when I heard it, I I immediately thought of another. Um, the melody reminded me of a another um, jazz standard actually, um, which is the song Spain by Chick Corea and so I was just showing it to pop off one day I was like dude doesn't this sound like Spain I'm gonna put (laughs) Spain in this song Mm -hmm. so what I did was I just arranged this tune and then had the C section just be Spain and the solo section was is also Spain Mm -hmm. so um it's it's all in a different key but the the song worked so well together it was just like wow I you know and it's something that we really like to do as a band is kind of marry video game tunes with very recognizable mm. jazz fusion tunes from from uh, really big artists. Like mm. I think our, our Pokemon theme song also does the same thing where we segue from the Pokemon theme into Watermelon Man by Herbie Hancock.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: And that's kind of the way that we've just been performing it. It's one of those things where... A lot of our younger audience who aren't like per se, jazz or fusion fans, they won't really recognize it. Mm-hmm. but it captures the attention of a lot of people who aren't necessarily video game fans, and they get the reference as well. But at yeah. the same time, it's one of those things where like video game fans uh, that aren't super musical, they just it, they they recognize that it sounds similar but I don't think they recognize that it's not a part of the song. Mm-hmm. They just think mm-hmm. it's part of the song. It's an embellishment yeah, of Yeah, it's kind. like an embellishment of some kind. So, Okay, very cool. This is The Aquatic Ruin Zone by
0: Super Soul Bros, originally by Masato Nakamura from Sonic the Hedgehog 2. moving into our last couple of tracks here for today Um, and this uh, this next track that we have selected is not a video game song in particular but I wanted to at least open some room up for you guys to talk about some of your uh, your musical influences outside of video games and and some of your background and and study on uh, you know music that doesn't come from a, a sound chip Well,
1: kind of going back to what we talked about earlier, when I first met Brian, Mm -hmm. um, we we really hit it off because we had a lot of mutual inspirations. Um, A particular band that we were both really fond of was the Yellow Jackets, uh, which were were one of the pioneering jazz fusion groups, um, and they just so happened to have some roots in the Bay Area, which is where Mm. our band is based in. Um, Actually, my dad, who's a musician, Uh, He grew up with some of the founding members, uh, the keyboardist, particularly uh, Russell Ferrante from the Yellow Jackets. Mm -hmm. And so I was sort of exposed to that music all of my life, just this funky jazz fusion stuff. And then Brian actually worked with Russell when he was going to school in Hollywood Mm -hmm. at MI. So we both just really enjoyed uh, Yellow Jackets and, and among many other artists. And I think if we were to kind of, Put maybe our top three like bands or artists that that we would say Super Soul Bros sounds like. I think Yellow Jackets would be one of those. Um, it just it's this early '80s, like late '70s, really warm, funky fusion stuff. This particular track, Imperial Strut, um, that we'll be listening to, features um, a piano breakdown, which is also an element that we've been incorporating into our performances. Since when I'm playing um, bass on my left hand, I'll play left hand bass keys and then I'll be playing chords on my right hand on another keyboard. Um, it's kind of difficult for me sometimes to take a solo and play bass at the same time. So yeah. I feel more at home, just totally eliminating the bass and just going straight piano. And it's it creates a big dynamic drop and a cool uh, contrast. And... Um, Imperial Strut is a good example of that, but also it's just got a crazy melody,
4: and it's
3: just—it's
4: pretty wild. I mean, it sounds like video game music. If you tr- if you took <laughs> this entire song and shoved it into a cartridge, mm-hmm. it, would, it would definitely just be like a like a Mario cartoon or something. Yeah. Totally, <laughs> I, I, I totally can see this being
1: like, uh, yeah, you could hear this in a Super Mario cartoon, and it really stands to reason that um, in Japan, particularly. Fusion, jazz fusion, and funk fusion were very influential, and it was a very big genre, um, especially in that era, like in the 80s, but also in the early 90s, which was the time that a lot of this video game music was being composed by Japanese composers. So it, you could see how the influences of fusion worked its way into the video game music that was being composed by these Japanese composers, and I'm, I'm sure that uh, many of them were listening to the Yellow Jackets at some point. Hmm. Yeah, let's jump right into Imperial Strut.
0: So we have one track left for today, but uh, before we play that, remember you can venture over to our forum at CanaanRince.com slash forum, or you can get in touch with us on Twitter at CanaanRince, or uh, you can visit our Facebook page or any number of our web presences, and you can request songs for the show, which we will play on uh, most of the normal sounds of play. Uh, this one's a little bit special because we have... Uh, so many musicians in the studio today. But um, yeah, normally we do take community requests. So please do keep those coming. I would like to just thank the Super Soul Bros for joining me today and wanted to ask if there are places where if people are inspired by the music that they've heard
1: today, where can people find you and find your records? Absolutely. Um, We try to keep it really easy. So All across the board on any platform that you want to find us on, whether it's YouTube or just our website or Twitter or Facebook or our band camp, it's just super soul bros. Not brothers, but super soul bros. And uh, particularly if you wanted to download our music, it's all available on our band camp. Although we're working on getting our stuff on iTunes and uh, some other platforms supersoulbros.com. We also have an online store where people can purchase uh, physical copies of our CDs, as well as shirts and all that fun stuff. One of the cool items we have is a USB flash drive, but it looks like a Super Nintendo cartridge. It's kind of hard to to describe verbally, but if you see a picture of it, it pretty much sells itself. We usually sell out of those at packs when we bring A bunch of them. It's essentially a Super Nintendo cartridge with a USB flash drive inside and there's a USB cable sticking out and it has our entire discography preloaded on there in MP3. So, um, if you want to buy all our music, that's, that's the big enchilada that you could, you could pick up. Mm -hmm. And when do you do your Twitch streams? Yeah, I forgot to mention Twitch. Um, Friday nights, uh, at 7 PM Pacific time. That's when we've been regularly streaming, Uh, And we we take requests and sometimes we work out new songs uh, as per the audience's request. Uh, 7 p.m. Pacific Time, Friday nights on Twitch. And that's twitch.tv slash supersoulbros.
0: Cool. And if people are just now hearing of you for the first time, where would you recommend that
1: uh, new listeners start? We're going to be putting out a lot more content on YouTube as well, so Mm -hmm. that might be a good starting Mm -hmm. point. Jump to our YouTube channel so you can get the experience.
4: You see the band in action. And um, Mm -hmm. Bandcamp's great because you can stream all the songs without having Mm -hmm. to buy it. Uh, the full length tunes and we're also on SoundCloud which that, that has a bunch of stuff from our albums across the board and also some little tidbits of tunes that we haven't released for sale so hmm. um, there's always that as well. Yeah we have a lot of uh, kind of like more bootleg kind of Yeah
1: releases on um
4: sometimes people just record us at shows and the performance is cool Mm -hmm. so we just put it on soundcloud or something
0: why don't you take us into this this last track here we have a a very familiar piece from super mario 64
1: yeah so this was one of the charts that i introduced as soon as i found out that we had a three-piece horn section um and it, again, it was a Mario 64 tune that had a jazzy, kind of funky, upbeat, bouncy vibe. And it already had horn parts. And so it just lended itself perfectly to our, our new instrumentation that we had. And uh, this may have been one that I think we had Bill learn at Cafe Stretch. I think we played it for Fanime. And this recording is actually from our latest release, uh, Strich's Brew, which was us playing at Cafe Strich. It's fun. It, I, I like how in the original It's got that really cheesy Doo-wop kind of uh, vocal mm. patch And while I could do that I, uh, I try to keep the sound A little more organic And, and, mm. and yeah. timeless So I, I opt for the, the wah effect On my clavinet keyboard And um, yeah And then it's just a fun tune It features all the horns It gets the whole band Really playing in full swing Very cool So this is Bob on Battlefield Playing us out By the Super Soul Bros
0: And uh, thank you for joining us. We'll see you next week. Thanks so much for having us.